It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joined by Michael Brauner. And again, taking your telephone calls, 251 694 1055 is how you can reach us, and you can always get in touch with us in the app as well as we love to correspond on the app and hope everyone has a wonderful Friday so far and has an outstanding weekend. It's going to be a little bit wet here in Mobile, Alabama, but Michael, Hope you've had an outstanding day so far, my friend, and there's plenty to cover here on the final drive. Oh man, it's been sunny out today. It hasn't been too hasn't been too cold. Not that not that it's been particularly cold this week, but you know, we got back to about seventy five and sunny today, so it's been it's been a good one. Can't beat that type of weather here in Mobile, Alabama. Three thirty, we have Shane Hallam to talk the NFL draft and four o'clock, Michael Sean Duggar. From the Seattle Seahawks covers them. Will they decide to draft an Alabama Crimson Tide offensive player, defensive player? What route will the Seahawks go? JT Crabtree at 430 will give us a synopsis on what's going on with South Alabama's football spring game tomorrow morning. Hancock Whitney Stadium at 1030 and Charlie Potter 24-7 Bama online will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. So we have an outstanding show scheduled for you today here on the final drive. And, again, we want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And when we start talking about the NFL draft and who the king of college football really is, can you judge that by draft picks alone? And that's something that I know when you visit Georgia, when you visit Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you'll see all of the first-round draft picks, jerseys on the wall. Because, again, that's a great selling point for these programs. But is Kirby Smart the new king of college football? Nick Saban has had the number one draft class, but Kirby Smart winning the last two national championships – Last year's NFL draft belonged to the Georgia Bulldogs. 15 Georgia Bulldogs drafted in the 22 draft. And prior to that, LSU had 14 coming off that national championship team in 2020. Alabama used to be the king of the NFL draft, having 12 selected in the 2018 draft. But Has Kirby Smart superseded Nick Saban in regards to finding a way to get guys to the NFL? And will that continue to develop with Kirby Smart winning national championships on top of that? Well, there's a couple of different layers here. So I think there's certainly a lot more to being the 
quote-unquote king of college football than just draft picks. As you said, the record before this Georgia team had 15 players drafted was the 2020 LSU team. And yes, Brian Kelly has LSU trending in the right direction, but we saw what LSU was the two years after winning a national championship under Ed Ogeron. So I, I don't think that that necessary. I mean, having a great team that gets you a bunch of players drafted doesn't guarantee you anything in the future, obviously. In Kirby Smart's case, uh, well... Yeah, he, he, he has passed Nick Saban currently as the as the you know, as Chuck Oliver would say, the reigning king of college football. Uh how 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 could you say he hasn't? I think Alabama fans who want to say that Saban still owns college football or however, however, whatever, uh, you know, cheesy catch line you want to put on it. King of college football runs college football on top of college football, ascended to the top of that, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Uh, you, you, you'd be delusional at this point as an Alabama fan to say that Nick Saban is still on top. I understand. Yeah. Let's see Kirby do it over a 15 year period, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Let's see Kirby win six and seven across two schools. But at the same time, right now, how how could you make the argument that that Nick Saban is on the level of Kirby Smart? Not I mean, that's probably not the best way to phrase it, but it is. It's the best way to phrase it because realistically, what we're talking about is the NFL draft pick. So you're exactly right. That's the perfect way to phrase it. Yeah. Well, I I think that. I don't know if Kirby is necessarily a better coach than Nick Saban, but Georgia certainly right now is a better program than Alabama. You, you can't you can't argue anything else. Yeah, you, you you'd be crazy to argue the contrary right now. You'd you'd be foolish and delusional and wrong. Uh, that's now Nick can Nick Saban get things turned around this year and and uh, climb the mountaintop again? Yeah. Hell yeah, he can. And and uh, that's probably lit a fire under him in, in his now age 70 season uh, to, to, you know, tackle this new this new threat. But and not even a threat, this new king. But that being said, yeah, Georgia is at is, is pretty clearly the the king of college football right now. And, and now Nick Saban is in a position that he really hasn't been in his entire career at Alabama. He's in the position where. He ha he's the one chasing someone else rather than the entire country chasing him. So it's it's a fascinating storyline going into this season that, yes, Georgia is back-to-back -back champions, as, as Brooks Austin gave us the trivia question the other day, trying to become the first three-peat since Minnesota in the 1940s. So, we'll, I mean, and you look at Georgia's schedule. They got a great chance to do that three-peat. I'll tell you what, I'll guarantee – I'll put my entire reputation on it. I'll guarantee you right now they're at least going to play in the SEC championship game. If they don't, something went really, yeah. really, really Ter wrong. Terribly Disastrous. Wrong. Terribly I wrong. I mean, you, you ultimately can have that one setback, but I think Georgia at any point in time in the SEC East can afford a one-game setback. I, I would be pretty shocked if they don't go 12-0, and but anything worse than 11-1 and with the schedule Georgia is facing this, this season – is a catastrophic failure for Kirby Smart in the first year post Stetson Bennett and and uh, as well as you know Jalen Carter and a bunch of these guys that are going to get Keely Ringo, a bunch of these guys that uh, you know are getting drafted, and uh, but yeah, so anything less than eleven and one in the regular season would be a disastrous failure for Georgia this year, uh, horrible, like un unacceptably awful. But that being said, they're going to play in the SEC championship. I'm very, very, very confident that they will almost certainly be playing in the college football playoff as well because I think 
they're going to be 12 and 0 going into the SEC championship. So even if we have a repeat of 2021 where Alabama beats the hell out of them in Atlanta, doesn't really matter because Georgia's going to be 12 and 0 going into the SEC championship and guaranteed a spot in the playoff regardless. It's not even close when you start to talk about the SEC coaches who have produced the most first round NFL draft picks Nick Saban by far with his time at LSU 2004 along with his time now at Alabama it's hard to imagine that Nick Saban came to the capstone back in 07 and here it is getting ready to go into the 23 season but 43 first round NFL draft picks produced by Nick Saban at LSU and Alabama combined and the second closest SEC coach, according to statistics, is Paul Bear Bryant, tied with Philip Fulmer and Steve Spurrier at 17. So his legacy has definitely been submitted in regards to, look, you're going to get into it what you put out of it. And I think that Alabama, if you want to have an opportunity, I don't think there's any five or four-star recruit that comes in to Alabama who does not think that they're going to have an opportunity to go to the league after three years. Now, is it a dream deferred for some guys? Absolutely. Does iron sharpen iron? Yes, it does at the University of Alabama. But it's the same way now at Georgia. Kirby Smart has created a culture in Athens to where when you start looking at an entire NFL draft in seven rounds and you can have 15 guys to make a roster, why wouldn't you go to recruit and say, hey, if you want a chance, not necessarily to be a first-rounder, but to chase your dreams and your goals of making that 52-man cut, come to Georgia. Yeah, I I mean, and that's the issue Nick Saban is dealing with now in that uh, it's not just – him that can say that at this point it's it's Kirby Smart that can say it as well and honestly to a higher degree uh because Kirby Smart can say uh come win a championship and then be a first round pick I mean that Georgia team in not this past draft but the draft before what like five first round picks just off the defense alone it it was unbelievable so that's you know and from a recruiting perspective that's now the challenge you face with this new monster in Athens so that that's a whole other perspective there but yeah, I, I, they have only lost to Georgia one time. Uh, you know, I'll, whether you want to hear it or not, I'll take it to the grave that if Jamison Williams doesn't tear his ACL, they win the game. <laughs> or if Ajay Hall is able to catch a football, they win the game. But that's neither here nor there. Georgia won the game, won the national championship, and it was the first of back-to-back national championships. Now, and, and- was Georgia thrilled they didn't have to play Alabama in route to back-to-back? Of course they were. Well, you you just start looking at it, though, from an overall standpoint. And you have to credit the culture that Kirby Smart has been able to create at Georgia and Athens. And there's nothing different. The secret sauce is not being sprinkled in Athens and not still being applied in Tuscaloosa. It's just a matter of Georgia has found a way with those guys that they do have in the NFL draft not to lose critical conference games. And you go back and coulda, woulda, shoulda, one game away for Alabama, whether you don't lose against Tennessee or you don't lose against LSU, you put yourself in a situation to where you're playing for an opportunity to play Georgia again. And I think that as a recruit, as, as we've had several recruits here, 
in the Mobile, Baldwin County area. Continue to be recruited by Georgia. Now, who's going to be that first one to to break away from either Auburn or Alabama and decide to sign with Georgia? Uh, Ryan Williams was on a on a visit to Georgia, like, and uh, that's like one of the reasons. Ago. Exactly, it was a that's scary w- sight to see him post in a, in a in a Georgia uniform. That's one of the reasons that you have to go ahead and and give. Kirby kudos because he's able to get the Micah Dubos of the world from Viagra High School getting ready to be a four or five star offensive lineman by the time he goes into his senior year he's only going to be a junior this year and he's already favoring Georgia and Kirby Smart and you flip one you may be able to flip another and it, it all boils down to opportunity, too, because you see so many guys that run from the fact that, oh, there's another five-star recruit there. Let me go ahead and go somewhere else mm. and, and and not go to where it's the best. But, again, if you're, you're dealing with 15 guys that played in the NFL on Georgia's roster, you know that you went up against the best every single day in practice. Yeah. And that's what the culture has been at Alabama – at, and that's why Nick Saban was the leader in the clubhouse through the 18, 18 draft and had 12 guys that went in the NFL draft. And then LSU, they win a national championship, and 14 of those guys make an NFL roster. So iron sharpens iron, and I just love the fact that Kirby Smart is doing things in a way in which it makes the Southeastern Conference better. Mm. It makes – Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Tennessee makes everybody better because what you're talking about is when you can see the number of draft picks coming off of Georgia's roster, you put 15 off of that roster, you put another 10 or 11 off of Alabama's roster, another six or seven off of LSU or Tennessee. Now you see why the Southeastern Conference absolutely dominates college football year in and year out. Do you, th- and do you think that that record of 15 draft picks for Georgia will ever get broken? That's going to be tough. I think 15 it's, because you, you start looking at where Alabama was in 2018 in that draft with 12. It was 10. So you went from 10 to 12 to 14 to 14. Now you creep it up to 15. I, I think that that's really special and that's going to be hard to do now. If you get you one of those recruiting classes in that decide to stick around, again, Nick Saban having the number one recruiting class this year, those guys stay mm-hmm. healthy. Yeah, you can put all of those guys in the league after their junior season on top of what you already had coming as a senior. So, yeah, I, I can see that happening. Or you have a red shirt sophomore or something like that that have paid their dues. Absolutely. But 15 is a tough number. I think it maybe gets matched, but yeah, broken 15 guys on one team drafted into the NFL. And to make a roster, that's the biggest thing, to make yeah. that roster. That's how you there's count There's a difference, that. yeah. There, there's a difference between being drafted and actually making a roster. And kudos to Georgia for being able to get it done. And that's why right now Kirby Smart is considered a GOAT. And he wins one more, like you mentioned earlier. That will be three in a row for Kirby Smart, something that hadn't been done since the 40s. Saban's gone back-to-back but never three-peated. But we'll see with this recruiting class what we have. Coming up next here on the final drive, we'll still touch on we have some great NBA matchups Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
the NCAA has made some rule changes that favor the student athlete. And we'll definitely talk about what the NCAA did that will make a lot of student athletes that are being recruited by Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia a whole lot happier. We'll talk about that next year on The Final Drive. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you on this fantastic Friday. And I tell you, when you say the NCAA, that's normally a bad word for a lot of people. A lot of people cringe when you hear the word NCAA and what have they done to to help or hurt student athletes more than not. It is to hurt the student athlete, but the NCAA decided they wanted to modernize the rules in ways in which college football athletes can be recruited. And starting July 1st, for 2023 and 24 kids, they will be allowed to have unlimited number of official recruiting visits starting July 1st. Now, it used to be where you had five official visits beginning April 1st of your junior year, only five. And what is an official visit? That means that they pay for your lodging, And this is what made me laugh. The reasonable entertainment, reasonable entertainment, because back in the day, (laughs) reasonable entertainment for your official. Ask Rick Pitino about reasonable entertainment. There you go. That's exactly where the air quotes of reasonable entertainment were considered into what an official visit could be made. Now, you can have unlimited visits now. And you can only visit once unless there's a head coaching change. But if I wanted to go outside of my five visits for an official visit, now I can have 15 official visits instead of five starting April 1st of my junior year going into my senior year. And you normally see all student athletes take all five of their paid official visits. And that's, Something, Michael, that I I really like this rule change because you have an opportunity to where now instead of saying, okay, I can have five visits outside of that five, unless there's a head coaching change, I you know, that's the only time I can go to that one school. But now if there is a head coaching change, I can go visit that school twice officially. Yeah. And even outside of that, if I have 12 or 13 schools that I want to take official visits on, those with larger recruiting budgets, you, you don't have to worry about, hey, here's my top five mm-hmm. for a college athlete. And we have plenty of four- and five-star athletes here that once they make their five official visits, what you used to do is say, okay, well, I know I'm from the state of Alabama. Let me go visit California, even though I know I'm not going to – sign anywhere in California, but I just want to make that trip and have another school to pay for. But now for the NCAA to say, all right, we're going to cover anything that lasts longer than two nights 
schools can continue to cover travel costs, transportation, meals, and reasonable entertainment for prospects and up to two family members. So, again, those with larger budgets, you outside of that fifth visit, you want to make that sixth, seventh, and eighth. I think that that's huge when you start looking and having an opportunity to do that. Yeah, how many visits would you take now if you were an elite high school prospect? I think I'd take 50, 100? If if you are that five-star recruit and you had to limit it down to five, absolutely you want to go ahead and take a look at saying, look, I want I want to take that eighth or ninth or tenth visit and have someone else to pay for it because <laughs> it's not on your dime. It's not on your dime. And that's the biggest thing. And then you can get reasonable entertainment out of it as well. How do you beat that? And I, I don't think you can you can beat that at all. And for the NCAA to go ahead and lighten that load to where, again, it used to be just those five official visits is all that was allowed. And now you're going to put unlimited number on that. I absolutely love it, Michael. I'm a fan of it, too. I, I, I never understood why there should be a limit on the amount of visits a kid can take. So... I mean, five seems like a low number anyway. So, I mean, now there will be kids, like I said, I kind of said there's a joke, but not really. There will be kids taking 100 visits. But, heck, why not? Enjoy your recruitment. You've earned it. Well, you know, outside of the NCAA and your recruiting, you know, you start to get on a roll, Michael, in regards to being undefeated. And the Rays, the Tampa Rays, are really having an opportunity now tonight to make history. They tied it yesterday, 13-0 start, having an opportunity to turn that to 14-0. They're going to win tonight. And, and that's that's something to where, you know, the, the the 82 Braves and the 87 Brewers, I do believe, were the last two teams that had a 13-0 record. But to push it to 14-0 in baseball, that that's going to be fun to – to see, I know there'll be a lot of people tuned in just because you're chasing history. You're chasing a number. And also, we're going to get into later on about the Bulls and the Heat matchups tonight. OKC and the Timberwolves. If you had to pick one that you're really going to roll with tonight out of those, who do you like out of the Bulls and the Heat? Mm, I guess the Heat. I'll take Eric Spolster in the playoffs. OKC and the Timberwolves. Mm. Give me OKC. OKC. And and Rudy Gobert making his return after punching one of his teammates. Yeah, that's why I picked against Minnesota. We'll also get into those teams are in the play-in playoffs in the NBA. The Dallas Mavericks are not. And it's because they decided to sit their superstars. But it cost them $750,000. Mark Cuban, I don't think he cares. I don't think it makes a difference to him whether he's fined a million dollars seven hundred fifty thousand dollars he did it the way he wanted to do it and coming up next shane hallam will do it the way he would like to do it as far as the nfl draft coming up next here on the final drive hi this is bill hancock executive director of the college football playoff and you are listening to wnsd 105.5 in mobile away from the NFL draft and of course a lot of mock drafts flying around and 
none better to talk to than Shane P. Hallam, managing partner at Draft Countdown this afternoon. Shane, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Oh, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I'm just uh, pumped that we're less than two weeks away from the draft here. No doubt about it. Jim Nagy was excited about the fact that Kansas City is where he will be looking to to see how many Reese's Senior Bowl prospects will have their name called in the first round. And what everybody, the betting lines want to know, will it be Bryce Young? Will it be C.J. Stroud? Who is going to go number one? I, I wish I could tell you with you know definitely what's going to happen. I think there's definitely some gamesmanship at this point. Um, Carolina probably knows who they're going to take, who they want to take. Um, uh, you know, there might be some disagreement in the room between owner, head coach, GM. I think that's, this is where you're having those conversations and sorting this out. So um, I, I, I know that the betting line for Bryce Young, that's been the rumor. That's been what everyone's talked about. It almost seems, you know, too, uh, too convenient to have that be the easy answer two weeks before. So I'm still on the CJ Stroud bandwagon. I think we hit about 10, you know, in about 10 days, about a couple days out, if it's still the Bryce young fire, then I'll probably change my mind. But I still think CJ Stroud is probably who Frank Reich wants in that spot. Well, Shane, I, I think the bigger question is, were you shocked when the bears give up number one and flip flop with Carolina there? I was a little bit because I think we have an elite defensive player in Will Anderson from Alabama in this draft. And oftentimes we've seen teams not willing to move down because they want the elite defensive player. Now, I think Chicago maybe has some higher priorities, offensive line. They're looking at some different positions that maybe wouldn't have made sense to take at number one overall for themselves. So it made sense to get a haul and have more of a long-term plan. Uh, but I was surprised it was Carolina too. I think, you know, I thought we, everyone thought Indianapolis at four, that'd be a perfect spot to move up. And Houston, they were having that conversation with the Raiders, but uh, moving all the way from nine to one, uh, it costs a pretty penny. So they better get this right. Shane, when it comes to evaluating quarterback prospects, and we'll get to the Anthony Richardson's of the world in a minute, but I, with Bryce Young, it's like he does everything at an elite level. And, and am I crazy in saying that if he were three or four inches taller, he'd be potentially the best on-paper quarterback prospect of all time? Uh, I mean, that's, that's a strong statement, <laughs> I think, to make. You know, I, I, I think he does a lot of things really, really well, and the height is, is a big deal. Honestly, to me, I think the, the frame, the the weight is an even bigger deal. Yeah, he came at that the combine over 200 pounds, but I think we all know he didn't play at that, and he's not going to play at that in the NFL level. Uh, the injury this past season's got to be a worry. I think the medical is a piece that it would need cleaned up. So I think it would take more than just adding a couple inches for him to be there. And I think he is mentally, the mental makeup is one of the best that I've seen from a quarterback. He's proven that time and time again at Alabama. He has the ball placement and accuracy. I do think there is some footwork, some, some eye issues that can come up from time to time. It's rare, but it happens with him a little bit. So I think there are still some uh, a couple weaknesses there that will need cleaned up and can be cleaned up at the NFL level. I think he's going to be great 
he, he's a top three prospect to me in this class and uh, definitely a really good quarterback. I, I'm interested uh, your comment there about the frame. I'm curious where it where it factors in for you when also evaluating. It's like Tua when coming out. I mean, obviously he had a long injury history at Alabama. Bryce Young, it, it kind of feels like over the past two years has taken hit after hit after hit after hit and gotten up every time. Yes, you brought up the injury. That was more of kind of a freak thing, I think, rather than getting hit and uh, and uh, you know a small frame issue. I'm curious where durability and the abil- the demonstrated ability to take a hit factors in for you as well. I mean, I think it definitely factors in. It's a reason why Bryce Young is still considered a top three pick. I mean, we've only had one quarterback ever go in the first round that came in under 200 pounds. There's a reason that it's super rare. There's a reason that Bryce Young was getting himself up over that mark just to seem that way. And so the fact that he was still considered this top five quarterback shows you that, hey, we've seen him take those hits. We know he can take those hits. I think you can still have a worry about the frame, but not say that it's something that's going to completely take him away from you know being a great quarterback, right? It's all about negating some of the risk factors that you that you have. This is a, a potential risk factor. It's negated a little bit by the fact that he's taken those hits, gotten up for the most part, and uh, you know things have gone fine. The NFL is still a different level. Uh, when you're taking that, and so it's all it's all a question, and, and these positives and negatives for these teams. Well, not only positive and negatives. Do you foresee, or is there any type of mock draft or scenario to where you do see Carolina taking Bryce Young, and then the Houston Texans and their new head coach D'Amico Ryan's at number two, taking Will Anderson Jr. to where you could possibly have an Alabama one and two overall in the 23 NFL draft? I I think it's definitely a realistic possibility at this point. If Carolina takes Bryce Young at one, Houston, there's been some rumors that they have Will Levis, the quarterback out of Kentucky, rated higher than C.J. Stroud. If that's the case, and they have number 12, might feel like there could be a jockeying for position where they could still get Levis if they wanted him or pass the quarterback altogether. We have seen teams pass on quarterback that needs it. This is going to be a long-term rebuild for Houston. If they think Will Anderson's the best player in this draft like I do, uh, then there, there's a definite possibility of taking Anderson at two. Let's wait till next year. We, we you still have an extra first-round pick next year. If you need to move up, we can give up the farm and move up for a Caleb Williams from USC. That could be a long-term plan, and it wouldn't surprise me if it happens on draft day. I, I said we would get to Anthony Richardson, so so let's get to him a little bit. I, I think I'm pretty high on Hendon Hooker a little bit. When it comes to, again, evaluating a quarterback, how do, how do you weigh production versus traits? It's hard. I think it's hard to do. I think it's why NFL teams miss on quarterbacks so much. It's why evaluators like myself miss on quarterbacks so much because there's so much that goes into it. Um, When you watch Anthony Richardson, you absolutely see the traits. Uh, Everyone knows that. You have the big arm. You have the most athletic quarterback 
of all time in NFL history. He, he breaks the mold. Um, and even in the games that he played poorly, take the Georgia game where, you know, he's breaking tackles. He's trying to make something happen and can do that because of his legs and athleticism. Uh, what worries me is even in, in the positives where he can climb the pocket really well and he, he shows the ability to keep his eyes up sometimes is man, uh, the footwork's just way off and the balls do not get exactly where they need to go. You know, he has one speed and it, it is, throw as hard as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hear, oh, well, he had a lot of drops in Florida. There were a lot of drops in Florida. But a lot of times these receivers are, are reaching out. They're bending their, their bodies to try to get their hands on these balls. And then the ball's going too fast. They can't catch it. It's not a very catchable ball. So I think he needs a lot of work. The potential's there. Uh, so you just have to weigh, is that you willing to spend a top five pick? If you think you can develop it, him, you could have someone really special. And if not, uh, then you're going to have wasted a pick. Talking to Shane Hallam from the draft countdown. How about this receiver class? I, I really feel like there's a lot of really good players in this and a lot of guys who are going to be at least very solid NFL players. I love Zay Flowers. I like Jackson Smith and Jigba. I, I think he's at least, at least has a very high floor. Uh, I just I don't know how many stars there are in this class. And your thoughts on that? I don't think you're far off on that. I mean, we saw we saw Jim tweet about the the receivers in this class not having as high a grades as the mock drafts have them. I could see that happening. I do think Jackson Smith and Jigba of Ohio State is is a stud. We just didn't get to see it this past year because of the hamstring injury and everything that happened there. So I think it's harder. He's not this freak athlete like Jamar Chase was where you need to feel comfortable, but the agility scores are off the charts. He gets open so easily. I think JSN is fairly squarely in the top half of the draft. The rest of the receivers, I agree with you. I think they're just pretty good and all have some warts that you need to work out. I mean, Quentin Johnson from TCU has the size. He has the athleticism, um, but he drops the ball. He he plays smaller than than he should with how big and tall he is. You know, can he really fit him in? And then you have the, the smaller guys. Dave Flowers from Boston College. He's quick twitch, but, you know, he's 170-some pounds. Jordan Addison is not an athlete. He's small, but he's a really good route runner. Uh, I think they just need the right situation to work. And that's what's going to be tough about this receiver class. We'll see a lot of them go day one, day two, but you might not have that real stud outside of JSM. Shane, why do you think that over the series of years that everything comes in phases or fads? Is it because the NFL is changing the way football is being played? Because at one point in time, it was the running back was highly valued. And then it switched over to where if you were an offensive tackle or a guard and you played on that O-line, you definitely, you could protect my blind side. You were definitely going to be an overall number one pick. And now you're having this draft where it's quarterback back top heavy top heavy is it because the nfl is changing or is that just part of the cycle of football i think it's a little bit of both i think the nfl's changing because we see high school football changing and then college football changing and those those type of tendencies systems start to work their way up into the nfl and now you know since those systems have move their way up and you know the analytical statistical analysis of just passing the ball short is more effective than running the football in a lot of cases you're going to start to shift 
your opinion of that. You look at the shelf life of these positions. A lot of these teams want longevity, and that's maybe not happening at the running back position. Uh, I think offensive tackle is similar. Where yeah, you, like you said, you used to have the blindside blocker, but now you need a quarterback that can get out of the pocket, that can move around. Well, I don't need that blindside blocker as, as much. It's about even. The right, left tackle, right tackle doesn't matter too much. The best pass rushers are lining up all over the place. So I, I need two good tackles. Um, so I think that's where we see the evolution of offenses and defenses start to change. And I, I imagine there will be part of it cyclical. We're going to see in 10 years teams start to get bigger in the linebacker position and go back to the running game and get more physical as these defenses get smaller. Now you can adjust and, and change your, manipulate your team and system to do that. Shane, am I crazy or are there three absolute future stars at the cornerback position in the first round in Christian Gonzalez of Oregon, Joey Porter of Penn State, and personally my favorite player in the draft, uh, Devin Witherspoon of Illinois? I, I think you might be right. This corner class is out of this world. Uh, I think Christian Gonzalez is a day one stud. He, he plays like it. He has the athleticism, the size. Just like kind of makes a big interception for you. But give me a, a lockdown corner any day over that. And, and I like Witherspoon and Porter. I like the physicality. I think a lot of corners coming out in this class and future classes really lack the physical toughness, the press. Uh, and it's so, such a requirement at the NFL level. So if you want the nickel, I think Devin Witherspoon playing in the nickel is such a good tackler. He can set the edge and play against the run. And, and then Joey Porter, I mean, he, he, he will work you as well. I, I think the rest of the corner class is good, too. I mean, I, I think Deontay Banks from Maryland has that physicality as well that teams are going to like. Emmanuel Forbes, the corner from Mississippi State, really has the ball skills despite being 166 pounds. Cam Smith. South Carolina's rock solid. I think in the top 50, we could see almost double-digit corners go um, because teams need them, and there's a lot of them here. Jalen Carter, the big defensive tackle from Georgia. You put on the film, and he's one of the most elite defensive tackles in the country, but his stock has continued to fall. Is is he the guy in the first round to where Everybody's going to say he cost himself millions of dollars, or is there someone else that you think has continued for their stock to plummet since the end of the regular season, the combines, and now here it is, we're less than two weeks away from the draft? I think if you're looking at what happened this offseason, Jalen Carter has to be the first one in that conversation. I mean, it couldn't have gone much worse from the, the arrest to the, the bad pro day uh, and everything in between it was, was, was pretty bad. Yeah, I don't think he can get much worse. Now, does that mean he falls in the draft? Uh, like you said, the film is so good. I think a team will take him pretty high. I still have him going off the board as the second defensive player after Will Anderson. I think it's still a strong possibility. I don't think he gets out of the top ten ultimately. Um, but if you want to say costing uh, of money, I think Will Levis, the quarterback of Kentucky, could – be that guy. I mean, we were talking about him as a rock-solid top four. Teams are going to move up. These quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three, four. We've seen mock drafts with that. Um, but but it, it seems to me a, a number of teams have kind of soured on his offseason where he you know he's bulked up. He's gotten this kind of big physique and, and, and then goes out the pro day, doesn't throw all that well. Uh, it just, just he, he hasn't had an offseason that the interviews apparently have not been great. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are turned off and we could see Will Levis fall to, to outside of the top 20 even is a possibility. 
Shane P. Hallam joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Less than two weeks away from young men having their dreams realized, and we look forward to taking a look at your mock draft to see when your final mock draft comes out, how it actually matches up to those that are selected on the 27th of April. How can people take a look at your mock drafts and all the great coverage that you give for the NFL draft? Head over to draftcountdown.com. You can see it all there. I'll have a new seven-round mock draft coming out on Monday. And then you can also always follow me on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. And uh, we'll be live streaming all three days of the draft, every pick, live analysis. Shane P. Hallam, managing partner at Draft Countdown, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, guys. On the other side of this break here on the final drive, we'll go into a little bit more in-depth analysis of do we think the Rays will continue to go through the weekend undefeated and the NBA picks, Bulls versus Heat, OKC versus Timberwolves. Are we excited for LeBron versus Ja? Who's going to go ahead and get the heads up in that series? All that and more coming up on the final drive. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive. And we were talking before we went to break 13 and 0 Tampa Bay Rays taking on the eight and five Blue Jays. Can the Rays extend it to 14 and 0 and get off to the best start in Major League Baseball? It'd be fun to see if they're able to do that tonight. I know all eyes will be on them. And I'll tell you who all eyes have been on not making the Masters cut, Roy McIlroy. He's $3 million lighter in the pocket today. He got docked for not playing or withdrawing in the RBC Heritage. Bronner, $3 million lighter. Mm. He was allowed to miss one event. This was the second event that he has missed this season, and because of it, $3 million he's being docked wonder what the equivalent is to, like, you know, the common man who has a normal amount of money, $3 million. That's what, you know, 50, 50 bucks to Rory McIlroy, 100 bucks. But in all seriousness, no, I mean, I think a lot of the play, I saw Xander Shoffley had a quote today that, you know, kind of saying rules are the rules and Rory knows the rules and he's a big part of the reason why we're having these designated events. You know, Rory's this ambassador for the game of golf and, uh, you know, a big part of the reason why the PGA instituted these new rules and, uh, you know, a lot of these new uh, big purse, high money events. Uh, Joel Damon said something about it today, something along the lines of the, uh, some, uh, similar to that. And Rory doesn't show up after missing the cut at the Masters. After all this year, it's been with Liv, and and uh, I don't know. I I think it's pretty soft on the port on the part of Rory McIlroy. Well, you know what's soft to some is the fact that you hit the transfer portal, and Auburn defensive end and former overall number one junior college player Jeffrey Imba. 
Six foot six, 307 pounds. He's the third Auburn player to leave since A Day less than a week ago for Hugh Freeze. But 66307, number one overall former pick. It makes you wonder why now? Yeah, I, I think. It's kind of just a late uh, late portal season, I guess, for Auburn. I, I don't know if it's them trimming the fat off the roster and Hugh Freeze encouraging these guys to leave or if uh, or if these guys are, are, are leaving on their own because they they feel they're not going to have the opportunity to play. I, I don't know what it is. He, he I played 10 games last year, had only seven tackles then in again, 10 games. Yeah, but last year went how last year went for Auburn. So the fact that you played 10 games for Brian Harson doesn't really mean a whole lot now, does it? Well, I tell you, no matter what, he is the third Auburn player to leave. It's just pretty interesting to me. Number one overall junior college prospect less than a year ago leaving the Auburn Tigers. When we come back here at 4 o'clock, we'll switch back to the NFL and see in the number five spot, the Seattle Seahawks are getting a pick from the Denver Broncos. What direction will they decide to go if an Alabama or Auburn player falls in their lap? We'll talk about that next on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner joining you on this fantastic Friday. We're also taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055 or you can hit us up and interact with us in the app as well. Of course, less than two weeks away from the 2023 NFL Draft, and the Seattle Seahawks have the number overall five pick. And I, you know, one, when I was looking at this pick, I was thinking, okay, we know that it's quarterback top heavy, and there's been a lot of question marks. What direction and what does Alabama players, as far as Bryce Young and Will Anderson need to do to find a roster that fits their talents. Well, none better better to tell us where Seattle could fit with Bryce Young and or Will Anderson Jr. if he falls into the lap than Michael Sean Dugar. And want to welcome you to the final drive. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Man, I tell you, it, we thank you for joining us this afternoon. But, you know, when you look at the Seahawks and Will Anderson Jr., because I don't think Bryce Young is going to be around for Seattle to sit and draft a quarterback, but getting that big defensive stopper, I think, is what can help the Seattle Seahawks the most. And down here at Mobile, Alabama, of course, a lot of Alabama fans in the Southeastern Conference in general got a chance to see a lot of Will Anderson Jr. for three years. 
Yeah, I think uh, one a sentiment in Seattle that's very popular and accurate, I should say, is that Seattle needs to legitimately look at the quarterbacks at the top of this draft because it is very rare that the Seahawks under Pete Carroll and general manager John Snyder, uh, for them, it's rare for them to pick this early, which it is, right? They've never actually picked in the top five together. This will be their 14th draft. Um, and while I agree with that sentiment, again, it is accurate, I always like to note that this is also a rare opportunity for them to get one of them game records that sent them home you know, early in the playoffs over the last, you know, decade or so, you know, they haven't been back to the NFC championship game since the 2014 season. Uh, we're going, we're in 2023. So it's been a while. Um, and so like the Nick Bosa's of the world, uh, I mean, like a Miles Garrett type, I know Miles hasn't specifically sent them home, but like there's, there's rare athletes at this position who can get to the quarterback and they go in the top five, they go in the top six, top 10 or whatever. So this is their rare opportunity to get one of those guys too. And from what I've seen on film, Will is one of those guys, Will Anderson Jr. Um, it particularly fits what Seattle wants to do, playing in a in a three three four where your outside linebacker's got to stand up, be able to drop into coverage, rush the passer a little bit. I know Will played inside a little bit in college. He ain't gonna be doing that in the pros. He's just not not heavy enough to consistently do that. But he fits what Seattle wants him to do on the edge and. He's the type of guy where if there's two minutes left on the clock and you're trying to make sure the other team doesn't come up, come down the field and take over the game, like Will is the type of guy who can get to the quarterback, right? He'll be on the field and be able to impact you um, in that way. So, yeah, if he's there at, at five, you run that card into Goodell, you know, if you're someone who works for Seattle. Michael, even from the fifth overall spot, would Seattle consider a trade-up in order to land, like you said, a game wrecker like Will Anderson? You know, I, I think that John Schneider would consider it. He considers everything. You know, he has to, right? Like, we have no stone unturned. The problem is, if you're going to do that, you probably want to move up to three. Right? Well, who's at three? A division rival. And that's not to say that division rivals can't trade with one another. They can. You know, Minnesota and Detroit just made a pretty significant trade last year in the first round with uh, Detroit ended up uh, taking Jameson Williams, uh, you know, with their pick. So, like, you can do it, but it's just so rare that a, a team in your division is like, hey, Go ahead, take this player that is we're gonna have to deal with, you know, twice a year for you know who knows how long. Like it can happen, you know. Uh, Philly and Dallas just made a trade. I believe the trade that ended up leading Dallas to take Michael Parsons. Philly initially owned that pick, but like it can happen. I just think it's gonna be too expensive. And if you're Arizona, you can just drive up that price. You know, you know, you kind of know what player they're going for if they want to trade up to three, and you can just charge a premium. So I think that if John Snyder does make that call to whoever the hell is running the, pa- the Cardinals these days. They're just going to charge him an arm and a leg, and I think eventually both sides just hang up on each other. Talking to Michael Sean Dugar, he covers the Seahawks for the Athletic. Michael, how much did the performance of Geno Smith this season change? I I mean, you would be looking at a quarterback here if if not for the fact that you know Geno is probably going to give you two more solid years of production. Yeah, you know, that was kind of – not kind of, it was the main storyline in Seattle, not just that Geno's playing well and how long can he do this, like in this particular season on a week-to-week basis. It was like, okay, does he play well enough so that everyone on Saturdays in Seattle can stop tuning in to Alabama games right? or tuning in to Kentucky games or just basically SEC football in general, I guess with some Big Ten sprinkled in to watch C.J. Stroud. That was always the question, like week-to-week. It's like, all right, he's playing well. But is he playing well enough so that we have to, you know, cancel our SEC network subscription if we live in Seattle? Right? And the answer, after a while, was yes. And then he just kind of tailed off there in December. 
um, and then played like really good in the first half of that playoff game. It was it was very fascinating to view Geno's production in that way. But it's like, yes, you're good, but are you good enough so that we don't need to get another better version of you that's ten years younger? Right? And it's a very rare place for teams to be in. Um, you know, particularly with a quarterback that old who makes the Pro Bowl, but you're like, okay, but you kind of still stink, so we need to draft your replacement. Like Detroit and Seattle were kind of still in those places, like, hey, you just made the Pro Bowl, you're pretty good, but, like, are you good enough so that we could keep investing in you? Um, so I think, it depends on who you ask, but I think that, yeah, Geno played well enough, and the way he played well was so sustainable on a year-to-year basis that, yeah, I don't think they need to take a quarterback. If they do take a quarterback, you have to categorize that as a luxury pick or, or something for the long term. It's not a short-term fix. I don't think whoever you take at five, whether it's C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, you take any of those guys, none of them are beating out Geno Smith in a training camp battle. I would bet my life on it, right? at least in 2023. So, yes, yeah, Seattle could take a quarterback, uh, but because of how well Geno played, man, you just, you just know he's going to be your guy in 2023 and probably 2024 as well. The Legion of Boom is something that really made Pete Carroll famous and, and helped him, you know, put some bling bling on his finger in the NFC West. Of course, the 49ers 13 and four a year ago. And of course, they had their rash of injuries that really bit them come playoff time. But the Seahawks, I mean, nine and eight, not really great, but not terrible either. Pete Carroll, how much longer do you think he can sustain or maintain his position as head coach with the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, I think he can do this as long as he wants. You know, he's just got – he's so youthful. You know, like one of my colleagues at The Athletic pointed out the contrast after week 18 when the Seahawks beat the Rams, right? And the Rams season was over and the Seahawks were going to go turn on the Detroit game to see if they were going to make the playoffs, right? Like Sean McVay was stressed out of his mind walking to that visiting locker room after the game, right? thinking like, man, I don't even know if I can continue to do this, right? That dude's like 37, right? He's like barely old enough to be president. And he was stressed out of his mind. And on the other side of the field is a 71-year-old dude in his, Air, his Nike Air Monarchs running like a kid in a candy store to the, to the home locker room to go turn on the Lions game, just full of bounce and joy, right? It's just so crazy how Pete Carroll just does not seem to age, like, in spirit. And, you know, obviously he's getting old. He's wrinkly. he got gray hair and all that. Um, but he, he just got such a bounce. such a pep to his step. You know, I was just watching Richard Sherman's podcast. He had Quandre Diggs, the Free Safety, as a guest. And they were telling a story of how before the Denver game this year, Monday Night Football, week one, Pete Carroll ran through a whiteboard in a team meeting the night before. And he was so pumped up, and the team loved it so much that he brought the whiteboard back up and did it again. <laughs> right? So he ran through a whiteboard twice. This is four days before his 71st birthday. Right? And they went out there and won the game in front of, in front of the world. So that dude running through whiteboards the day before, a few days before he turned 71, I will think he can do this until, you know, He's in a wheelchair, you know, whenever that is. So, yeah, I believe Pete, and Pete feels the same way. He thinks he can do this for forever. Michael, how much were you personally, and I guess Seattle in general, shocked by how much Seattle ended up winning the Russell Wilson trade by? Oh, a lot, a lot. Um, so I didn't think Russell Wilson would be as bad as he was. Like, if you asked me around this time last year, I would have told you there's no way. Like, Russ is going to be a pro bowler. He's going to be back to Russ. Now, that shifted in August when I read a quote from uh, – several quotes, actually, from a Peter King article. You know, Peter King goes around and does his little training camp stuff and gets little anecdotes. And, and when he stopped in Denver, 
Um, he had an anonymous quote from someone close to Russ who said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically Russell Wilson and Daniel Hackett are not coach and quarterback. They're more like partners. I tweeted that quote out in the link, and I was like, this is, this is alarming because um, there needs to be a hierarchy there. Like, there needs to be – it helps to have accountability when you know who's in charge of what. If you just think we're on the same plane, it's like, well, no, man. He can bench you. He can cut you. He can trade you. You guys are not partners. Right, and you need to know that going in. So I thought that was troubling. So I, I thought in August, I was like, oh, they're screwed. Unless they come out and score 30 points a game, which they did not. Um, so at this point last year, I was like, oh, man, Russ is going to kill it. By August, I was like, oh, this could be a problem. Gino, on the other hand, look, guys, I, I try to remind people of this. Not you guys in particular. This in general. Gino didn't just show up last year to the Seahawks. Last year was Gino's fourth year with the team. I've been covering the team every year Gino's been here. Gino ain't never looked like that. Gino will tell you he ain't never looked like that. He didn't look like that in preseason games. He didn't look like that last year when he was filling in for Russell in 2021, I mean, when Russ broke his finger. He didn't look like that battling Paxton Lynch, where I think it was uh, like Jim Luck or whoever, whichever Luck was running the XFL at the time. He came out and was like, hey, whoever loses that battle between Paxton Lynch and Geno Smith, we want them for the XFL, right? And that was a legitimate comment to make at the time. Right, so like Gino's never looked as good as he did in 2022. Even in his Players Tribune article he just published a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned that the three games he started in 2021, he was still shaking the rust off. So as bad as Russ played and as good as Gino played, I don't think there's anyone who could have predicted those two just being on the spectrums that they were. Like it was fascinating on both both sides for me. Well, I tell you, DK Metcalf is that dude. I mean, no matter how long you've been covering him, he just continues to get better and better. Not coming off of a historical season, but when you just look at – he's just built different. And when you do have a receiver like that, I think that that's part of what intrigues so many people in in wanting to watch what Seattle is going to do, how they're going to continue to improve. And when you do have someone coming off a season like Geno and DK, and then you throw a Will Anderson Jr., if you're able to get this type of guy defensively, I think that reinvigorates Pete Carroll even more. You said he's gray and wrinkly, but he may turn back the hands of time if he's actually able to get that type of guy. Yeah, I mean – Here's the thing. If they can get a short-term answer to their problems um, in this draft, and I'm not talking about just the first pick. They have five of the top 90 picks, right? and they have some needs that can be filled. They have positions of need in which you can find a starting caliber player outside of round one. Like they need like another guard. They need inside linebackers. You know, they need you know a center. These are all things you don't need pick five to get. You don't even need pick 20 to get those things necessarily. So they're in such a good spot. If they can find some short-term solutions, an uh, uh, interior player like Jalen Carter, uh, a, a potential all-pro guard like Osiris Torrance, a potential starting center like John Michael Schmitz from uh, Minnesota, a game-changing rusher maybe like a Will Anderson, even Nolan Smith from Georgia. Like If they can nail any of these dudes, Jack Campbell, inside linebacker from Iowa, you know, inside linebacker Drew Sanders from Arkansas, former Alabama guy. You get any combination of the three, two or three of the dudes I just mentioned, like Pete might run through another whiteboard. Like now I'm just every whiteboard I see Pete Carroll nearby, I'm just kind of nervous and I pull my phone out. <laughs> like if this dude get hype enough, you never know. He might just shirt off, run through a wall because he's so excited because they are in a really good position to like I think Philly is a blueprint for Seattle. You guys remember Philly in twenty twenty one, they were nine and eight. They got bounced in the wild card round by a Tampa Bay team that was clearly better than them. Like Jalen's Jalen Hurts had shown some flashes. Their roster had shown some promise, but they, it was clearly they needed to make a step or two before they were really contenders. 
Well, they made that step in one offseason. I think Seattle can look at that the same way. Nine and eight, get balanced by a team that's clearly better than you. Your roster's a few moves away. We'll make those few moves, and you can you can be at the top of the NFC next year, potentially. Michael, how can people follow all your great coverage to see if the Seahawks are actually at five or going to be able to draft a player like Will Anderson Jr. or make big-time picks at 37 and 52 as well? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Dugar, M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. I'm still verified without paying, so shout-out to Elon Musk uh, on that one. Uh, my uh, my YouTube show or my, my podcast is always on YouTube. Seahawks Man to Man is the name of the podcast. I always pin our latest episode to the top of my profile, so you don't even got to look for it. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on The Athletic, we're on YouTube. If there's a place that has audio, we're probably there. So you can find all of my stuff. Just follow me on Twitter. You'll get everything. Look forward to doing that. Thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to seeing where the 12th man decides to go with the Seahawks here after this NFL draft. Appreciate you. The final drive here on WNSP returns, and we'll talk a little bit about your thoughts about the next football league that's about to start, and that being tomorrow, even more football, because there was a point in time to where we had a five-and-a-half to six-month drought before we got a chance to see any more pigskin. We'll get a chance to see plenty of that. We'll discuss that next here on The Final Drive. This is Jordan Farley from the University of Alabama. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Roll Tide. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And when we were going to the break, we were talking about that long layoff that we used to have in football. And it takes a long time sometimes when you start thinking about, okay, you go from Super Bowl having to wait to the end of Super Bowl all the way to high school football kicking off. Then, of course, to college football and then on to the NFL. But now the USFL, of course, the defending champions, the Birmingham Stallions, they have Bo Scarborough still on their roster, McGill Tulin's own Marlon Williams. He was third in receiving last season, had four touchdowns and 475 yards in the USFL. Birmingham Stallions legend Bo Scarborough. I mean, he's got to be the best running back in the state of Alabama ever named Bo, right? No. <laughs> no. That's a good try, though, Michael. I mean, that's a good try. Uh, but a- at the end of the day, I-, I think that Bo Scarborough is still happy to be playing football. As a football fan, we're still happy that we're getting a chance to watch football post-Super Bowl because all we used to have was the Arena Football League. Yeah. And that was the only football we used to get. That used to have to be our little fix for six months until the NFL started kicking off. But the USFL last year, of course, all the games being played in Birmingham, Alabama. And wouldn't you know it, in year number one, the Birmingham Stallions do win the USFL title. Woo. But USFL versus XFL versus the Arena League, would you rather not even have 
the USFL or the XFL or Arena League and just wait those five and a half to six months for football to return? Or are we glad that we still have named players and named coaches that we all know and watch? Or would you just rather wait for the Colts to take on the Jets <laughs> come September? No, I mean, it's it's nice to have them there. I, I'd be lying if I told you I'm gearing up on my couch every weekend for whatever XFL matchup. That's not the case. But, you know, you're flipping through the channels and, and bored on – whatever night in april and uh you know xfl comes on and you think oh there's football on it's so that that's always a nice little surprise but no i mean i'm not gonna sit here and claim i'm a huge xfl or usfl fan i'm, I'm just not i don't think anyone is really but it certainly uh eases the lack of football uh would i rather watch a jets preseason game than than a, than a usfl game yeah probably just because i mean that just more so speaks to how great the nfl is more more than anything but uh that being said yeah no i mean i i think it's great that these leagues exist and and get us through the lack of football and and yeah i i appreciate that they're there well i mean because michael the only football we used to be able to get was that of soccer and that was, you know, to you me, that wasn't that? It, it, that wasn't getting my fix in because when you have to sit there and wait for six months and you have to sit there and watch replays of the Packers versus Patriots or whatever, nothing wrong with that. You you sit there and you watch reruns of Good the nostalgic Iron Bowl. replay. Yeah, the, the, you, you, you can watch any of them. flip on NFL Network and, and see what they got on for you. But at the same time, when you actually have a team here in the state of Alabama, or when you have A.J. McCarron yeah. on that XFL roster or Brandon Silver, it, it, it makes a difference because now you have that local flavor and you're always going to have those one or two guys that are waiting. I mean, w would Kurt Warner be Kurt Warner? I mean, he's got a daggum Disney movie after him <laughs> coming from where he was in the Arena League to Super Bowl champion. So I think these leagues can actually catapult these guys and give them an opportunity to play where they ultimately want to be in the National Football League because some of these games have been horrible. But I'll sit and I'll watch a horrible USFL game or an XFL game that that really doesn't excite me with a, a one or two win team. Feels like a dig on baseball is coming here. But but <laughs> you you know that it's live and it's great football. And I, that's why I will continue to watch football. I'm glad that The Rock was able to sit and promote the XFL he was. Now, will these leagues survive? Well, it's year number two of the USFL. It's year number one of the XFL. And I think that I think it's gone pretty well for them. Through I, 10 I, weeks, it's going to continue. I don't to have their well. balance sheets in front of me. But, <laughs> I, you know, I think, you know, people are talking about it here and there. Uh AJ McCarron's done well. when you have names like that that football fans are gonna recognize and people who are who are starved for football, yeah, they're gonna tune in and check it out. Well, I mean, you start looking at the attendance for AJ McCarron's team. The attendance has been great. Thirty-eight thousand for St. Louis. That's how hungry St. Louis was to have football come back to their city. I mean, well, of they course, had it stolen from them. So. They, they did have it stolen from them but they, they were ready to show that they're ready to show up and show out when you sit there and have 38,000 fans there for 
an XFL game. And the USFL, I know when the Stallions kicked off last year on TV, Protective Stadium was sold out. Yeah. And now, did it go like that for the rest of the season? It's hard to sustain it. It, it was hard to sustain, but it still was every single Saturday and Sunday you were having football on, and a lot of the names, you had an opportunity. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember when he did play at Auburn or when he did mm-hmm. play at Kansas or wherever they were from. But when you start having an opportunity to ultimately try to make an NFL roster, do I think you're going to go from the XFL to having an NFL opportunity? Probably not. I mean, that's the sale. That's that's what The Rock was selling to these guys. You want to – you're the 53, 53rd person on an NFL roster. You want to become that 52nd or get you a solidified spot. And the more tape you have, the better it becomes for you. So that's why I love the fact that you have the USFL, XFL, Arena League football is getting ready to make a comeback. You know, I, the, the names on the back of the jerseys, he hate me. I, I, I used to love it's that. Classic. That that that's classic. He hate me on the back of the jerseys. Now I I will tell you this, that the National Football League has taken notice to some of the rule changes or some mm. of the the rules that are exemplified in the USFL or the XFL, and the transparency that's in the XFL is awesome, and some of the rule changes are awesome, and I wish the NFL would adopt some of the rules. The USFL, now, if you fumble a football out of the end zone, it's not a touchback. You take it back from the place where you fumbled it. These are the kind of things that I love to see that will shake up the game. The kickoff rules in the XFL, I think, are great. So, to me, there's more positive in these other leagues than negative when you have an opportunity to continue to see football and not having to wait from the end of the Super Bowl all the way up until high school football kicks off in the middle of August. So I'm all for it. And I'm hoping that not only A.J. McCarron gets another opportunity, I'm hoping Marlon Williams continues to put on for the Birmingham Stallions. Bo Scarborough, I don't know if he'll ever see another NFL roster or not, but anything's possible. It allows you to chase that dream to make in the National Football League. Coming up next, J.T. Crabtree voice of the South Alabama Jaguars joins us to talk about tomorrow's spring game for Kane Womack and how the South Alabama baseball team is doing as well. Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner hoping you had a fantastic Friday and getting ready to enjoy your weekend of festivities and always a pleasure to have the radio voice of the South Alabama Jaguars joining us this afternoon on the final drive. JT Crabtree how are you doing my friend? What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm uh, up here in the, the press box up at 
I'll throw some some Cajun French in there for you. Lucien Field in Monroe, Louisiana, for uh, getting ready for the Jacks take on ULM this weekend. I got you. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll hold it down here at Hancock Whitney Stadium for you tomorrow as at 1030 a.m. The 2023 edition of the South Alabama Jaguars will be debuting in spring, in the spring form for Kane Wymack coming off of one of the most successful, if not the most successful year in Jaguar football history. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I hate that I can't be there, but I know that uh, I know that we're all excited for for fall 2023, and so to get a preview of some of the newer guys, uh, a lot of young guys out there too, because you know spring oftentimes is when you know you have some of your your guys that maybe played through some injury. They use the spring as an opportunity to to heal up and get better, and so that op- that opens some doors for some younger guys. So. Uh, exciting to see some of the younger guys out there and get an opportunity and get a, a little bit of a glimpse into what fall 23 is going to look like with you know, not too many guys gone from last year's team, but still uh, plenty of newcomers that will be impact guys and complimentary pieces as well that will be playing a big part for us next year. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part about what you have returning because, again, I, I, don't, I don't know a Jaguar fan alive who was not disappointed leaving New Orleans, but knowing what was coming back and the opportunity for redemption. And that's the only thing that you could ask for if knowing you have 20-plus guys that Coach Womack considers starters on this roster to have an opportunity not only to get that taste of the bowl game last year, but to bring back one of those winning bowl trophies back to Mobile, Alabama and the Jaguar facility. No, for sure. I mean, uh, to to be blunt, uh, what happened in New Orleans sucked. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was tough. And you know, we're we're sitting up there in the Superdome. I didn't sign off the air until one a.m. and it was kind of like a man, what just happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So fortunately, you know, we return a lot, like we've been talking about. But also, I think it's going to be a little bit uh, a little poetic justice, if you will, that we're going to start twenty three in the city of New Orleans against Tulane. And so I think that's obviously for for everyone that was a part of that 22 program and, and our fan base as well is that you know, that's a game that's an easy drive and something that we're we're eager to get over there and put what happened in the New Orleans Bowl behind us and quickly be, get back out there and continue what has been a, a great era of South Alabama football with with Kane Womack at the helm and you know a 20 win season last year. The, the first we've ever had at the Division One FBS level. And, you know, with you, when you return a head coach, an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, a starting quarterback, and a starting running back, in addition to everything else you've got coming back, I mean, it's rightfully so expectations are going to be uh, super high when we, when we start next season. But I, I, I've heard – and seeing great things from the, the squad in the spring so far. And, again, I know there's a lot of guys banged up, but still opportunities for guys to, to step up. I know Khalil Jacobs is a younger guy that's uh, done some good work so far in the spring. So, uh, again, looking forward to seeing them cap it off and an opportunity for Jag fans to get out there tomorrow and see some Jaguar football for the first time since December. 10.30 a.m. tomorrow at Hancock-Whitney Stadium is when the Jaguars will have an opportunity. If there's a strength 
that I think South Alabama is going to have, it's definitely going to be at the running back position. And I know LaDamian Webb has been held out this spring, but Braylon McReynolds was an explosive freshman from McGill Tulin for South Alabama. And when you start talking about Kentrell Bullock coming in and P.J. Martin as well, I just think that that's a key in having a stable offensive line come back. It's just going to be fun to watch South Alabama. I know they're not going to show too much tomorrow, kind of be vanilla and have some fun with that spring game. But around Jag Nation, a lot of reason to be excited about a very, very young overall football program as far as the number of years in existence compared to its counterparts. No, I think uh, you're breaking up in there a little bit, but I think I got the gist of what you're saying there, Corey. Yeah, you, you mentioned there the, the running backs. And it's so exciting to see a guy like Braylon McReynolds, who's right in our backyard. He did, you know, Coach Womack had told us all preseason, like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll find a spot for Braylon here or there. You know, we'll 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 put a have a package together for him. We didn't expect him to be the true number two running back the way he turned out. So it's exciting to see how he will continue to develop. Uh, and, you know, another local guy, Colin Lacey from Faith Academy, he was, you know, highly toted in high school and his first two years didn't really have a, a big impact on the offense. And so he was kind of the guy that was circled to be like, all right, it, it's it's time to step up, man. You know, are you going to be the guy that we thought we were signing a couple of years ago? Or are you going to be a role player and be on special teams like he's had a lot of success on in the past? And, man, he really stepped up. And so seeing those guys – Mobile guys uh, really have a big impact in what we've been doing. has has been huge. And then you look down the road over in Florida, too, with you know, the, the Boyson twins of Devin and Jaden on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, too. They're back as well. So, you know, I, I'm really excited. We're really only missing uh, Jalen Wayne has graduated. James Jackson at center graduated. Uh, Terrell Luter Jr. on the defensive side at corner has graduated. And, Outside of that, you lose C.J. Rias, an edge rusher to the portal, but you get back another mobile kid, Keith Gallman, who didn't play a single snap last year, and yeah. that's one of the best defensive guys in the entire conference. So it's really, really exciting. And again, I, you know, I know it's what April 14th right now. Uh, it's it's easy to get wrapped up in the expectations and you know the anticipation of what we've got coming back because I think it is legit. It's not just us. You know, sunshine and rainbows, and looking through red, white, and blue glasses right now. It's, it's legitimate. You know, we're we're going to be a top three contender in the Sun Belt Conference next year with the amount of not only local guys but just overall talent at multiple levels that we've got coming back next year. Well, that's where you want to see South Alabama's football program and J.T. Crabtree, the voice of the South Alabama Jaguars. A three-game series for the Jaguars on the road at Monroe. If they're able to win all three, they will break over 500, I do believe, and they'll get back on the winning side of conference play. So this is a big-time weekend for Coach Calvi also. Yeah, huge, huge weekend. Um, you know, this is yet another road stretch for us. We've been on the road a lot, but we'll come back for several at home after this road trip. So, we need to get off to a good start. That's what we've kind of struggled with is really starting pitching, which is, you know, not been uh, usually not the case with a Mark Calvi coach squad is starting pitching has always been solid, but the bullpen has been pretty good this year. The starting pitching has been a little bit up and down, but 
We've got Sam Knowlton pitching tonight. Um, and if folks at home don't know about Sam so far, he's you know six foot eight, ninety eight to one hundred and two miles an hour on his fastball, and it's legit. And so he'll get the start tonight. Mitchell Herr, our two way third baseman, will uh, will start on the mound tomorrow. And then freshman All American two years ago, Jeremy Lee, who's still working his way back from his brace surgery he had last year, he'll go on Sunday. So uh, I'm excited to see what this team can do. They're playing well. They've won six out of their last eight ball games, and over the last 11, this team is hitting 338 and averaging just under 10 runs a game at nine and a half. So the offense has definitely come around these last couple of weeks. It's just can we get off to a good start on the mound, and then if that starts going, watch out because I think these uh, I think these Jags be ready to go come tournament time. JT Crabtree, always want to thank you for taking time out and hope you have an outstanding calling weekend. Be safe, my friend, and Jay's up. JT Crabtree joining us this afternoon here on the final drive, Michael, and looking forward to tomorrow. Gates open, 9.30, kickoff or the start of the spring game scheduled for 10:30 for the South Alabama Jaguars. Kane Womack already getting ready to enter year number three. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. We'll be coming right back at you, talking a little bit of NBA action along with Alabama basketball has been active. They need to be because you have to have coaches in order to get players. We'll talk about that next here on The Final Drive. Uh, this is Tim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you on this Friday afternoon. And of course, you can give us a call 251 694 1055 or you can reach us in the app and we'll get right back to you in the app as well. But we were talking about what's going on nationally tonight as far as from an NBA standpoint the Bulls versus the Heat. OKC versus the Timberwolves in the NBA play-in. And I know, Michael, you said that's really just a waste of time because what it's really going to matter is when you start looking at these games, they're going to start in the NBA coming up this weekend. And I think that so far, uh, a lot of people don't tune in to the NBA until postseason play starts. But tomorrow, the Nets and the 76ers, the Hawks, the Celtics, the Knicks, the Cavs, the Warriors, and the Kings. And when you look at Sunday's action in the NBA, of course, the Clippers and the Suns, looking forward to seeing Durant and seeing what he can do. Lakers and Grizzlies, of course, that's LeBron and John Morant. And to be determined, the Bucks and the Nuggets are definitely going to play on Sunday, also depending on who wins tonight. But the Mavericks, they didn't even get in. And they're a little lighter in the wallet as well. But Mark Cuban, they have an owner that I don't really think he cares. He loves to speak his mind without any 
repercussions and, and worrying how much it cost him as far as load management is concerned for the Mavericks? Well, you know, I said it's a waste of time with the play-in tournament. Obviously, Mark Cuban feels the same way. Uh, if you're the Mavericks, Victor Wembanyama's Victor Wembanyama, he has seven-four freak who's going to revolutionize the way basketball is played. Apparently, uh, and then there's Brandon Miller from Alabama and Scoot Henderson from the G League. I mean, if these three guys are as good as advertised, obviously Mark Cuban decided he would rather have a shot at getting one of these guys in the draft lottery than than playing Adam Silver's little joke of a play-in tournament. And to be honest, you know, Mark Cuban was spot on there. I for yes, yeah, $750,000, it's a heck of a lot of money. Not to Mark Cuban, it's not. Uh, but I'm surprised it, it, it's not even more because in 2017, it's a slap on the wrist. It's nothing. But, but he admitted to to Tanking in 2017, flat out admitted it, okay? So, you know, load management, where I get pissed is when, as an NBA fan, if I'm paying my money and I take my son or daughter to that game, and this is the only opportunity I have, I've saved up yeah. the entire year, or I only have this vacation time for this one day, Yep. and Load management means you're sitting your stars and I'm not having an opportunity to see the best players play. That sucks as a fan. Well, uh, you know, it's just another one, another reason on the long list of reasons why the NBA is the worst of the four leagues. Uh, it's it's not remotely close. And I'm sorry if you're listening, Nick Wiggins or Steven. Rue, I'm sorry. Uh, but again, just add it to the long list of re- the playing tournaments a joke. Uh, the the load manage the load management is a joke j- for the reason you just said. Why is the regular season eighty two games? Why does it need to be eighty two games? Again, if these guys are not going to play every fifth game or wh- whatever the number is, like like you said, like make the se- make the season forty games. I, who who cares at that point? It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, like like you just said. What it, imagine being a being an eight year old kid? It's your dream to go to an NBA game, and. You want to see Kyrie play. Now, at least Luka did play. He only played 12 minutes, which is great, before he decided to leave the game. But you can say that's a coach's decision. But what's funny is when Jason Kidd, the head coach of the Mavericks, gets asked about it, he says it's an organizational decision. Well, that's probably one of the best answers that you could have if you want to an continue to be employed. organizational decision. An organizational decision as to why the league's a joke, man. The it, league's well, a complete joke. I, I just think that seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine to me is a joke when you already have it's an not, owner it's that's admitted even, to tanking. It's it's a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar fine is like you know, all right, Corey, you, you you messed up today. Give me give me five bucks. Uh, like it's 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 a complete and utter joke. From from Mark from like a from a league that is a complete and utter joke. The playoffs are entertaining. I'll watch the playoffs, but as for the regular season, it's 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 pathetic. From a pathetic league. Well, it, it's just frustrating. And, and again, it's laughable when you start talking about seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the Mavericks organization. Again, Mark Cuban being the owner of that organization, and you know if he ha- he hosts that show Shark Tank. If you were to pitch him a business idea that, hey, my invention's only going to work for a day, I think that Mark <laughs> Cuban probably would not give you the seed money 
for that invention. And again, that's just the best way, the best analysis that I can use in regards to how he's handling the situation. And a lot of people deserve and are frustrated for sure. But, you know, something that's not as long is college basketball. And Nate Oates and the Alabama Crimson Tide were missing three coaches. And now it looks apparently one of those has already been filled, Michael, and it looks like the hire hasn't officially been made, but it looks like Nate Oates is going to have by this time next week two coaches in place that Alabama now can actually get back to the business of making sure they don't lose any more recruits or players that are currently on the roster. I hope so. Uh, I I certainly hope so. It it is a little bit nervous that we heard about the hiring of Austin Clanch. You know what was it a week ago now? And, right. And the official hiring hasn't been made. I don't know if they're going to make all three official quote unquote hirings at the same time. But as it turns out, uh, this trip to New Orleans to watch Herb Jones and Kyra Lewis for Greg Burns and Nate Oates was was a bit more than just a trip to support their guys. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when you have an NBA assistant coach who's affiliated with the Pelicans programs, Ryan Pannone is looking where Nate Oates may go. And maybe this time next week it will be official. But again, from an Alabama basketball standpoint, Nate Oates, he has to fill his staff and he has to fill it quickly. As of course, Antoine Petway this past week officially being introduced and having his head coaching press conference for Kennesaw State. So Nate Oates, again, going to have to get it done and going to have to hire assistant coaches and make it official here very quickly. In the next hour, top of the hour, we have Charlie Potter, 24-7, Bama Online, joining us, and we'll revisit the fact that the NCAA is changing its official recruiting policies for the student athletes in high school the final drive here on wnsp 105.5 with Corey labounty and michael brauner From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Our number three of the final drive here on this fantastic Friday. Hope everyone has had a great work week. And here on the final drive, we just wanted to make sure we brought in nothing but the best when it comes to getting all the information that you may want to know about Alabama football, Alabama basketball at this point in time. Charlie Potter joins us here on the final drive. Charlie, good afternoon. How are you doing, my friend? 
Doing well. Thanks for having me. Charlie, I tell you, there's a lot of excitement and action going on, whether it's with Alabama basketball and the coaching search that Nate Oates has on, or whether it's Nick Saban getting ready for tomorrow's scrimmage with his team that will be closed until the A-Day game on the 22nd. But when you start thinking about Alabama football getting ready to start, what besides the quarterback battle really will intrigue the media and the common fan the most outside of that quarterback battle? I think there's a lot. Um, Alabama has to replace a lot on both sides of the ball. I think the offensive line is one that um, you know most are interested in. There's, there's several guys that are back that have starting experience, but kind of want to see just how that group uh, comes about in terms of which five guys are on the field. You have J.C. Latham back at right tackle. You have a couple of experienced centers and Seth McLaughlin and uh, Darian Dalcourt. And then Tyler Booker's back after a strong close this season. And then realistically, those four could be um, you know, in that starting group from right tackle to, to left guard. And then you have a, a young guy in Elijah Pritchett uh, who's been man in that left tackle position. So I think not only who, but how the offensive line looks is going to be interesting because it's been very clear talking to the players, hearing from Nick Saban, um, you know, that they want to be you know, more physical up front, be more aggressive, have a, a toughness that pass Alabama offensive lines have had. So I think uh, on that side of the football, it kind of starts up front because that'll go a long way in helping Alabama get back to a, a balanced approach that they talk about having with, you know, Tommy Reese coming in as offensive coordinator and a new quarterback and you know, the weapons that he has around them. And the defensive uh, it's kind of just up the middle. You know, they need uh, to have a guy up front on the defensive line to be uh, kind of that dominant force. They haven't really had that since, you know, Quinn and Williams. And um, you look at the inside linebacker position behind them, uh, both Henry Toa and Jalen Moody have moved on. Deontay Lawson, who got four starts last year, has been out with an injury. So they've got a lot of new faces in inside linebacker, but this is a good time for those guys to get experience. And then on the back end is safety, you know, both Jordan Battle and DeMarco Hellams. Heck, you can even throw in Brian Branch, who was the starting star last year. They're all, you know, entering the draft, and you're going to have some new faces on the back end with guys like Malachi Moore, uh, a newcomer like Caleb Downs, a former five-star true freshman. So there's a lot of new faces, and I, I think, though, you know, solidifying the trenches and just being better, um, you know, up the middle of both sides of the ball, I think will be important. You know, when you go and watch an A day game, everybody's looking forward to seeing the new guys, and there's going to be plenty sprinkled in because they have a ton of them on campus. But I think, you know, where, where games are won and lost, they're up front, they're looking to, to kind of get back to an old mentality, cut down the penalties, and, and play Alabama football. And so far, they've been able to do that, and we'll see if they can continue at the spring. Speaking of penalties, Alabama averaged 68 yards per game in penalties, and that was probably the most or the highest total of a Nick Saban coached Alabama team. What was it that you had so many veteran guys and so many guys in key positions just not be able to stay disciplined? And what's going to be the biggest factor between this year's penalties and last year's penalties, is it the new coordinators? Is it a new technique? Is it just more emphasis on it? Because I thought Nick Saban was going to go ahead and blow up a blood vessel 
on the sidelines multiple times last year because of the penalties. Yeah, I don't really know if it's just an, an easy fix because if it was, um, Alabama would would have done that. You look at the last or three of the last four years, and they've ranked um, you're near the bottom of the SEC in the nation in terms of penalty yards per game. Uh, like you said, last year was was the most at almost 69 yards a game. But um, you know, whenever he was talking to us earlier this week, he talked about the points of emphasis after that first scrimmage and. You know, the thing that they're trying to do is to sustain, uh, to have better effort. And I think it's really just focusing on the little things like eliminating these mental errors, these penalties. And, again, I don't think this just you go out there and say, okay, we have to do this and everything's fine. Um, I think it's over time. Uh, they tweak some things. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's clearly something that they know needs to be cleaned up. Uh, again, it's not just this past season. It's been in the last – five years or so that the penalties have kind of been up to where Nick Saban doesn't want them to be. And uh, a lot of that comes down to discipline. And there's a lot of new guys again on campus. Um, I think they went out and recruited a certain guy, uh, both of the high school, the junior college and the power five um, levels to come in. And uh, I think they're trying to instill uh, that discipline and that mindset into the players that are on the team and kind of get back to that, that standard that they're used to. And I know that's just kind of conjecture and sounds cliche, but if you do that, then some of the mistakes that you're not used to seeing from an Alabama team start to you know, decrease. They go away a little bit. So I think it's small steps. I don't think it's just an overnight fix. I think that'll be something that's continued to be preached throughout the off season. And um, yeah, I think if they can pinpoint and work on those little things, then I think that they can be, get better in that department come this fall. Talking to Charlie Potter, Bama Online. Charlie, it, I mean, Jameer Gibbs was probably the most important non-Bryce Young player to the offense last year, obviously moving on to the NFL draft, so it's a difficult loss in the running back room, but it feels like the room as a whole is still deeper than it was last year, obviously bringing back McClellan and Williams. It feels like Jamarian Miller is going to factor in as well, and then you bring in Richard Young and Justice Haynes as well. Yeah, I think um, it, it's tough to lose a guy like uh, Jameer Gibbs, a do-it-all player for Alabama, not only as a, a runner but as a receiver. I think that second uh, part of his game is really what they'll miss the most. They need kind of that mismatch player in the passing game. Um, you know, we haven't really got our own eyes on the running backs yet, so we'll see if one of these guys can be that. You know, maybe you look at a, a guy at wide receiver or someone at it tied in as kind of that mismatch. Uh, maybe in Amari Nodblack, I don't know, I'm just kind of spitballing here. But, yeah, at the running back position overall, um, I think the depth is, is solid, and that's with Jameer Gibbs and Trey Sanders moving on this offseason. You bring back Jace McClellan, who's your second leading uh, rusher last year. He's a guy that uh, was able to come back from that ACL injury, him and Roy Dale Williams both. They're back as seniors. Um, and then Jan Miller, the uh, – the true sophomore as a true freshman last year he played in every game mostly on special teams but he got some run um you know late in games and i think he ended up leading the team in yards per uh, per carry average now again that's that's late in games he's going against some some backups on the defensive side but he showed some promise and justice haynes is a true freshman who um one of multiple five stars to sign with alabama this cycle but you know, he's kind of lived up to that hype throughout the spring i'd be interested to see if he can make a move and you know get on the field early as a true freshman and get some meaningful snaps 
But, um, you know, that's before you add in another blue chip prospect and, and Richard Young coming in this summer. So that's five quality running backs there. And if they can stay healthy at that position, um, that's one that Nick Saban said he's not going to be losing sleep about at night. I think he feels good about not only the the top of the, the pecking order, but the depth overall at that position. The transfer portal opens for everyone tomorrow. And it's something that Nick Saban has had a little bit of success here within the last three years of finding that key athlete. But after this scrimmage tomorrow and then when you look at the 8A game, do you expect guys that are on this roster after these last bit of spring practices to go ahead and think about moving elsewhere? Because, I mean, iron sharpens iron, and sometimes three, four, and five-star guys feel that they don't want to wait. They want that microwave-type mentality. Are there any of those type players that have been rumbling around Tuscaloosa that they're unhappy? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to spitball on who could transfer. That does no good for anybody. But Alabama's going to have to lose some players. You know, if you look at it, um, they have 89 scholarship players right now. That's with the guys they signed, the guys on campus. And they have to get down to 85. You have four coming in this summer. That's going to bring it up to 89. So you're going to have to have four to leave. Um, you know, you, you could kind of, I guess, move things around depending on who's on scholarship, who's on not. But if you if you account for all the warm bodies, they have 89. And so you're going to have to have some guys leave after spring practice. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. We see it all the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, you. It's an era of football where, with these windows, you're going to have attrition. Um, Alabama is no different. No, no program is, you know, immune to it. And uh, again, to get to the point that they need to be from a scholarship standpoint, they're going to have to you see some guys leave. You have some tough conversations, and um, you know, guys are going to look elsewhere for you know greener pastures, hopefully. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this you know, portal window because. You're going to have guys leave, but does Alabama go out and maybe add to places they don't like the depth? Uh, you know, Nick Saban mentioned it, I think, the first day of spring practice of how they need to get better depth or uh, improve the depth on the offensive line. I think they like the guys at the top of the pecking order, but right now they have 13 scholarship offensive linemen. That's not even enough to fill three teams. So um, it's going to be an interesting window for sure, but uh, there's going to be some guys that have to make some hard decisions and you know, ultimately leave the program. And, and we'll see who those guys are, whether it's when it opens tomorrow or when spring practice ends. One of the more intriguing players to me is a couple of years ago, I called the Alabama Mississippi all-star game. And one of the players that immediately stuck out to me was this big 300 pound mammoth of a guy, Jaheim Otis. And he was just a dominant player in the Alabama Mississippi all-star game that was played in Hattiesburg. And came to Tuscaloosa, worked hard, put his head down, has dropped close to 100 pounds. And when you start thinking about the amount of weight that he's dropped, I think that this young man has the potential to be the next big thing from a defensive line stopper, run stopper, and getting after the passer with him being lighter now. He's just one of those guys that I'm keeping my eye on for sure. Yeah, I mean, the guy dropped a middle schooler, essentially, in terms of weight. And that's unbelievable. You know, kudos to him for the effort he put in. Uh, I know it wasn't easy, but he's completely transformed his body. He's um, gone about 
uh, restructuring his diet. He doesn't even eat rice. He told us earlier this spring. So he's a guy that has been really locked into doing what he needs to do to be at a point he needs to be. And I think he even talked about needing to maybe add a little bit of weight because he's lost so much. You know, wanting to play around 330. He's around 320 or so right now, and they wanted to be about 330. And like you said, though, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, the defensive line, they haven't really had that that war daddy up front that they've had in the past. And, you know, I think if Jaheim continues to make progress, he could, you know, start to enter that conversation. I think he still has to, you know, improve and, you know, work on some things that uh, all young guys need to work on. But, you know, he's, he's taking steps in the right direction. I think if he can build on what he was able to do last year as a true freshman, you know, coming in and starting 10 games at that nose guard position, uh, it's not only going to help him and help the defense, but it's going to help the, the linebackers behind him to free up running lanes for them to go and make plays. So uh, I think he's an important piece to this defensive puzzle. And later this offseason, I'm going to rank the, the top 25 most important players. He's probably going to be top 10 just because of what he can bring to the table. And, um, you know, they need other guys on the defensive line to step up. You got Tim Smith. Again, Justin Boyd be back is big. You've got Jamarian Latham, Jamil Burrows, those goes on and on. But, you know, Jaheim Otis, if he has a strong season, that can only mean good things for this defense, I think. How about the corners, Charlie? I, I mean, Terry and Arnold was kind of – obviously, you can pencil Kool-Aid in and put him in ink at, in, in terms of one of the slots. But, hey, Terry and Arnold factored in heavily at the start of last season. Then Eli Ricks kind of worked his way out of the doghouse. I mean, I think Terry and Arnold certainly is going to be starting – on this team, and he had a quote the other day about you know, talking about how confident he is in the defense and how good they can be. It, it, I mean, it feels like the depth outside of the top two isn't all that great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unproven. Uh, you lose Eli Ricks, you lose Kyrie Jackson. Um, you're you're thankful for Alabama to get a guy like Kool Aid McKinstry back. He's probably going to be. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be a, a preseason All-American, and if he plays like he did last year, he'll be a postseason All-American as well. But, yeah, I think with Taryn Arnold, um, it, last year was kind of a, a growing season for him. Uh, he talked to us earlier this spring, and you discussed just how he hasn't played a lot of corner. You know, he was a safety in high school. I think Alabama fans would like to see him back at the safety position, but you know, Alabama sees him as a corner, and that's where he's worked there in star. Um but beyond that, you have guys like Earl Little. I think you know he has a bright future. Uh, he's a guy that's also worked in the slot at that star position. But theoretically, you could have uh, Kool Aid, uh, Terion, and and Earl as your uh, your corners or star, and that's a that's a pretty solid grouping. But you know, beyond the the two guys with starting experience, you have Jocko's Robinson, who's a program veteran, coming back. Um, you have a guy like Antonio Kite, who's done some good things. Uh, Traquan Fagans has been in the program now for two years, are going into his second year. And then you added some some young guys in uh, Des Ricks and Jaleel Hurley, who uh, are going to be pushing these older guys as well. So it's it's not a very experienced group outside of, of McKinstry, but um, if they can get Arnold to play at a high level, if they can get uh, Earl Little to, to play well at the star position while allowing Malachi Moore to move to the back end at the safety position, the secondary can be really good. Uh, they get some of these young guys to step up, maybe some of these program veterans to step up. It can be a solid group. And um, I think at the corner position, it's not the depth, maybe, but the top guys aren't as much of a question mark as, say, their safety counterparts in the back end. Will Reichert. 
I think coming back to the University of Alabama, you know, we never have anything to say except when he does miss that one or two kicks. And a couple of years ago, he was perfect from a kicking situation and was not acknowledged as so for the Lou Groza Award. But talk about the difference that having Will Reichert decide to come back for the Alabama Crimson Tide can and will make. Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, you know, it's... Just talking to Will, uh, when was it? Oh, at, in the um, Sugar Bowl. Yeah, he was talking about the legacy he was leaving behind and, you know, decision to turn pro, and then he did a you know reverse card and chose to come back. And I think that's that's huge news for Alabama because otherwise you're looking at potentially having a true freshman out there, a guy who's coming in this summer who's not even on campus this spring, so that would have been interesting how they handled it had he not come back. But that's, that's huge news. You know, Will's going to go down as the best kicker in Alabama history. Once he decides to hang up the cleats and turn pro, and um, you know he's just a solid kid that has gotten better as he's been in the program. Uh, he's money from 35 yards in, which is all you can ask for from a kicker, and he's pretty solid from beyond that point as well. Um, you know, really everybody's back from a specialist standpoint. You have James Burnup at the the punter position, and also as as Rikers holder, it seemed like he made some progress last year. Um, and then Neyland Hibbett's also back as the long snapper. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see what they do from a return man standpoint, even though that won't be live um, in any of the spring stuff we see. But uh, special teams, I think, it, they were very happy to get Will Riker back uh, to, to handle the place-kicking duties. And I think that Alabama fans, um, that, was, that was like landing a five-star commitment. They were super excited to see that one. Well, Charlie, I can't not ask you, about Caleb Downs, is he as good as advertised? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, it's still early. You don't want to put any pressure on these young guys. We've seen if he goes out and has this a stellar game in the 8A game, there's going to be so much hype. Um, I think it's it's warranted, no doubt. But you know, we've seen guys have really good 8A games and and not pan out. I mean, a giant hall comes to mind. Uh, first off the the head, but I think Caleb Downs is a guy that you know they made a priority in this recruiting cycle. Uh, pound for pound, he's probably the best player in the nation coming in. Um, I think he deserved to be considered the number one player in the country. I know a lot of quarterbacks are going to get that love there, but you know, Caleb Downs is a special safety prospect. Just seeing him, um, you know, at the the Sugar Bowl, and then now going into spring practice. He doesn't look like a true freshman. He's gotten some work with the ones and has done some nice things. Obviously, he still has to continue to learn the playbook and, you know, make progress, improve, all those things. But I, I think he's definitely in a position. He's coming in at a great time with Jordan Battle and DeMarco Hallam's leaving. But you know, he's in a position to earn some early playing time and potentially be a starter in this defense. And uh, if he can lock that down, he's going to be a starter for, for three years and then probably be a first-round draft pick. Well, you're definitely a first-round draft pick for us here on the final drive. How can everyone follow all the great articles and all the great information that you produce with the Crimson Tide content? Yeah, just over at BamaOnline.com. Um, obviously, be at Nick Saban's press conference tomorrow, so we'll have plenty of post-scrimmage coverage from that. And then I'll tweet out my stuff and all my colleagues' work on Twitter at Charlie underscore Potter. Charlie Potter joining us this evening on the final drive. Thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 will continue. And when we come back, again, we'll talk about the NCAA changing the official recruiting visit policy. A little bit outdated, but if you're a student athlete, you're going to love the fact that the NCAA finally did you a solid one. South Alabama again tomorrow. Their football screen scrimmage, 1030 Hancock Whitney Stadium is when it starts. You can always get in touch with us, 251-694-1055, or give us a shout-out in the app. We'll be right back here on the final drive. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to a fantastic Friday edition of the final drive. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner, joining you this evening and you know, when we started the show today, we were talking about has King Kirby taking over college football in regards to his recruits and what he's able to do. And at the end of the day, when you are a student athlete, I think that you arrive on campus at Alabama or at Georgia as a four or five star athlete and you have visions of in three years making it to the National Football League. Well, Kirby Smart, 15 players were on NFL rosters after the 2022 draft. Nick Saban, in the 18 draft, he had 12 Alabama players that were on rosters. And, of course, LSU had 14 in 20. When you're able to go and sit in front of a recruit, do you worry about championship rings or are you more worried about saying, hey, look, we just finished putting the most guys in the history of college football into the NFL and getting them on ready for rosters? Well, Georgia doesn't have to worry about either of those things because they have both. So, <laughs> and, and that's the thing because that's what makes Kirby smart to me the new king of college football because you used to say, well, we, we have the number one recruiting class. If you're Kirby smart, when he takes over that job in 2016, but the secret sauce is kind of like the original Coca-Cola formula. If another company took it over and they knew what it was, <laughs> they, they're going to have the same type of success that Coca-Cola once had. Same thing here with coming off of the Nick Saban tree. Like if the founder of Coca-Cola, the guy who made the original formula, went off to another soda company to help them make their formula. And, and, and it's just what Kirby Smart has been able to do, Michael. He's been able to maintain and sustain something that's very special in college football. Again, 15 guys coming away from the 22 draft that were on an NFL roster. Now, Nick Saban's still the king of first-rounders without question. For now. But Kirby Smart, 16 through 22 so far, year 2016 through year 2022, averaging seven and a half players to the NFL draft per year. And I still think that 
as far as someone in the app says active players, Alabama has the most. But when you start looking at longevity, the longevity, the average NFL lifespan is only three years. So you're, you're not looking at making a long career out of playing in the National Football League. What you're talking about, though, is being able to get in front of a recruit and say, hey, 15 of my guys here recently, not only do we have back-to-back national championships, come to Georgia, come to Athens. It's where it's at, and right now it is. Georgia is the king of college football, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Wow, so you're you predicting a three-peat? Uh, with what they have, I I would go out there and say, hey, until, to be the man, you yeah. got to beat the man, yep. Michael Bronner. And, and that's, woo, Ric Flair style. <laughs> to be the man, you got to beat the man. And right now, who's beating Georgia? So until Alabama does it, yeah, you might as well say Georgia can three-peat. For, for the record. Georgia has beaten Alabama once in the in this run of of national championships. But if you want to see the best of the best, I know so many people got tired of seeing, you know, Alabama and Clemson, the two most elite programs. Yeah. Whether it was Clemson part two, Clemson part three, Clemson part four. You just forgot how many times they played. You just knew it was a bunch. Mm-hmm. But they were the elite in college football. And Dabo did a tremendous job of putting guys in the NFL, not double-digit guys like the Southeastern Conference is doing because, again, in 2018, Alabama puts 12 out there. In 2020, LSU puts 14. And in 2022, now you have Georgia with 15. Clemson's going to be back. They're going to be back. Well, I I just think that a lot of people have forgot about Dabo, without question. Well, how could you? How could you forget about Dabo? He makes it. Uh, he makes it so that you can't forget. It. God, I can't stand that guy. But uh, you know about this kid from Thompson, Peter Peter Woods. Yeah, going to. <laughs> I mean, he's the real deal. He's he's so he's expensive. one that you that, you wish would not have gotten out of the state. One of the bigger Nick Saban f- recruiting fumbles in uh, in the past decade. Well, well, if you if you're if you're in. Alabama fan, at least you're saying he didn't go to Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, you'd rather him go to Clemson. Because, again, Georgia, to me, I mean, they have, again, Saban's sauce that was left over on Kirby. It just took him a matter of time before he was able to go ahead and get over that hump. Now, sustaining it was my biggest question about could Kirby sustain the success at Georgia. It's but not a, not a question anymore. Now, when you go back to back, uh, I, I, it's sustained. I don't think Stetson was the thing holding that holding that program together. So, well, I, I just think that when again the secret sauce, Saban shared it with them, and it's just a matter of time before you know whether you wanted to change the ingredients or not. the The philosophy to me, there's there's not too many different ingredients that. Kirby has used 
Someone says, pump your brakes. He learned everything from Saban. Well, that's not, not, whether, not whether, that, whether that's true did. or not doesn't really matter now, does it? He's the defending back-to-back -back national champion. Doesn't matter where he learned it from. He's, he's beating Nick Saban. He's beating him in recruiting. He's beating him on the football field. He's the back-to-back -back national champion. Alabama lost two games this year. And, and, Georgia and just won the national championship by 58 points. Not only that, I just, again, going back to saying – 15 guys in the NFL draft where the standard was 12. You you asked earlier, do I think that 15 will be surpassed? I, I really don't. I don't think 15. I mean, records are meant to be broken, but how long will it take? Maybe matched. Uh, passed. I just think that's tough. I, I mean, that Georgia defense, and they had offensive players drafted as well, but that Georgia defense was – I mean, generationally spectacular. I mean, I think it had five first round, and then you had Nicobe Dean slip to like the middle of the draft, who was arguably, at least from a college football perspective, you could argue he was the best player on that defense. Again, he was an undersized linebacker, so that's why he fell in the middle of the draft, and I think he had shoulder issues as well. But I mean, that that defense was was spectacular. Hey, I, someone just said it in the. I literally said that earlier. Jamison Williams not getting hurt and Bama wins that game. I agree. Doesn't really matter, does no, it? It, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, but at the end of the day, again, it's next man up. Ajay and, Hall couldn't catch the ball. Well, uh, there's a reason why he's not on any college football roster right now. Without question, there's, right. there's a reason he's there, not on a there's roster. There's a narrative floating around, and obviously Bryce Young tore up Georgia in the SEC championship game with the – well, John Mechie tore his ACL in the SEC championship, but J Jameson Williams was on the field in the SEC championship. Uh, but there's a narrative that floats around that Bryce Young didn't play well in the national championship against Georgia. He played phenomenally. He, he made some throws that game that will make you shiver. If you, if you go back – well, I mean, the third and 13 that Jai Hall dropped – Haunts me to this day. I mean, Bryce Young, did, Cameron Latou dropping it in the end zone. I Alabama's receivers didn't show up that day. And the ones, again, I understand next man up, next man up, next man up. Yes, if Jameson Williams didn't get hurt, I believe Alabama would have won. Doesn't matter. They didn't. Uh, they, the guys who lined up next weren't ready to play. It, but, see, you're, you're in a result-oriented business, period. The results are what matters. And at the end of the day, Georgia had 15 guys that made NFL rosters from the 2022 draft. And that had nothing to do. We're not talking about injuries here. We're not talking about anything else besides Kirby Smart being a back-to-back -back national champion and trying to three-peat. The next time Nick Saban wants to three-peat, well, guess what? Nick Saban will be almost 80 years old to accomplish that feat. So, to me, Kirby, Kirby's the man in college football right now. And that's from a recruiting standpoint. He, It doesn't matter how or who he learned it from. At the end of the day, back-to-back -back national champions. And that's what I, I think that 15 guys in the 2022 draft – it's just you, you You had LSU with their great run in 2020. They had 14 guys. And you see those guys that doesn't matter what they're doing now because at the end of the day, they had their name called. And that's where the selling point to a lot of these college coaches. And it, it ties back into 
going back to the student athlete and what we were talking about the NCAA changing. La- la- last thing I got to say on this go before, go before I, I mean, I just think that Alabama fans, and specifically in the app right now, but just in general, think like they take this argument to mean like Kirby Smart has passed Nick Saban as the best coach in college. It, it's not even that. It doesn't have to be a matter of that. But to argue anything else other than Georgia is on top of the college football world and Kirby Smart is the king of college football right now and is past Nick Saban. Like, Georgia is the back-to-back defending national champion. Nick Saban has done that one time, by the way. Back-to-back defending national champion. How, how can you argue anything else? You can't. I, you, you just simply cannot. So that that's it, like when it – when it comes to it doesn't have to be that black and white. Yeah, it does have to be that black and There's white. a difference between, He's got between being the finger. king and the goat. Okay, yeah. there, There's a difference. There's exactly. a difference between being crowned the king and it's King Kirby right now. No doubt. Now, now you win. You win you about another two or three. And then you'll start mm. me with the goat oh. conversation <laughs> for Kirby. Okay. That's going to be a, a quite the debate. If Kirby wins like three or four more rings at Georgia, the the rhetoric between Alabama and Georgia fans about like the goat Nick Saban versus Kirby. Well, I think Nick Saban wins one more at Alabama, but the that debate that'll go on for like a decade straight about who's the goat Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. Again, this is if Kirby Smart wins like three or four more rings at Georgia. Uh, it's it's gonna get nasty. It's gonna get it's gonna get nasty. Well, again, fourteen consecutive first rounds with an Alabama pick in in the NFL draft. When this year will be year number fifteen, fifteen consecutive first round picks for Alabama Crimson Tide, and that's what truly makes Nick Saban the goat versus the king. And I think that Alabama couldn't sniff a draft pick prior to Nick Saban coming in. Not a first-round draft pick. We'll be lucky to have a third or fourth-round draft pick at the University of Alabama prior to Nick Saban's arrival. And I think that when you start talking about Kirby Smart and where he's trying to transition and get the Georgia Bulldogs, there's no doubt the blueprint is Alabama football. But in order to maintain and sustain it, hasn't been done since the 40s and Minnesota three-peating. Would I have loved for Nick Saban to three-peat? Absolutely. And I think his former players would tell you he's been put in a situation to where he he could have three-peated. They... They didn't get it done. Kick six had something to say about that. There you have it. They didn't get it done. And that's one of those situations to where you you can't go back and change the hands of times, but what you're looking at right now is Georgia staring at a three-peat and having the most dudes in the NFL, period. You know what's fascinating about that, though, too? If that happened today, Alabama still be in the college football playoff with a, with a chance to repeat. So, <laughs> I it, I don't know if Georgia I, I, Georgia's not going to lose a game in the regular season this year, so it's kind of a moot point. But like hypothetically, like obviously the kick six ended Alabama's chances of a three-peat, but it's just funny to think Alabama wouldn't have been in the SEC championship. Auburn still would have made it to the SEC championship, but Alabama would have still made the college football playoff if the college if that if uh, twenty thirteen happened in the college football playoff era. So they still would have had a chance to three peat well, if if it was in a playoff era. So I, I've never really thought about that until right now. Even even staying 
in college football in, in regards to to what you're able to do with recruits. Recruits were only able to take five official visits when that were paid for by the institution in which that you were going to. And now the NCAA has changed this mandate, and now they are allowed to take unlimited visits beginning April 1st of the junior year, and this rule will take effect starting July 1st. That's huge news. As if you thought that the early signing period and the late signing period in February was something to behold, now you start looking at these institutions at the last minute when all you had was five official visits, and now you can have as many as you would like to where the institution can pay for it. Oh, there, there's going to be some last-minute flips for sure now. I think it just added more intrigue from recruiting services to find out who was on their last official visit because now, again, an official visit is paid for by the institution. It can't consist of longer than two nights, and there are reasonable entertainment that can be paid for. Reasonable. Reasonable, because we talked about it last week, how much money was spent by Texas. I was about to say, I wonder if reasonable entertainment falls under the category of like an Arch Manning ice sculpture. $250,000 on one recruit. I I don't see where that's – well, I'll take that back. That is reasonable to <laughs> Texas standards with all the oil money that's there. But I, I'm just – I'm excited the fact that the NCAA is allowing recruits – to go ahead and have unlimited visits starting April 1st of their junior year, including their senior year. If you think you have a lot of recruit flips now, Broner, you, ju- you just wait until this time next year and what, what we'll be talking about in regards to not only NIL, but in regards to somebody's taking 12 or 13 or 14 visits because they capped it at five. And primetime is going to have a field day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, now, Deion Sanders, if you you definitely will see Deion do his dance with his bad foot behind this one because now you can bring him in more. Only one time they can come, but at the same time, it's an unlimited amount of bits. You can only visit one school. If I want to be recruited an official visit to Alabama, unless they change head coaches, that's the only time I can do. But I can take more than five from different schools. That That's what's impressive to me. The final drive, getting ready to wrap up on the other side of this break. We'll see if the Rays, we'll talk about the Rays making Major League Baseball history. Can they do it? Marcus Mariota, we'll talk about him as well as we finish up the final drive here on Friday. Hey, everybody, this is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and we were talking about can the Rays make Major League Baseball history but 14-0 that's great but 
Apparently, the St. Louis Maroons in 1884 won the first 20 games of the season. Did not know that until just moments ago. But I guess as a modern era baseball, 14-0 wouldn't be too shabby if they're able to defeat Toronto today. It's like six different eras of baseball. So, <laughs> hey, hey, look, that doesn't matter what era you're from. You still love the fact that, again, the USFL, XFL, NFL, Arena League, all football that's going on. And the USFL, of course, kicks off tomorrow. And we still have the XFL that's going on. We have the Bulls versus the Heat and OKC versus the Timberwolves tonight. We also mentioned Dallas being fined 750k for tanking Mark Cuban. That's just a slap on the wrist for him. Barely. And we also want to remind everybody, South Alabama spring football game. Gates open at 9.30. Kickoff scheduled for 10.30 tomorrow at Hancock Whitney Stadium. So get out there and check out those Jaguars as well. We also discussed today... Roy McElroy, $3 million lighter for withdrawing from the RBC Heritage. It's his second missed event. That's why he's lighter, $3 million. And Marcus Mariota backing up Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. I think they have the same type of style. And that's why I think that's a great sign by Philadelphia because if Jalen goes down, you have Mariota who can get the same type of things done for you. It's been a great Friday edition here on the final drive. Shane Hallam joined us. Michael Sean Duker joined us along with JT Crabtree and Charlie Potter. Go back and check out that podcast if you missed any of it. WNSP Now is how you can check us out. Hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. We'll do it all again on Monday.